Now, as our young people go out this morning, we are going to look at a passage in Matthew's Gospel today, uh, from Matthew chapter 18 and verses 10 through to 14, uh, and it's going to be read this morning by Mary Miller. The Parable of the Wandering Sheep See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Amen. And may God bless our hearts understanding this reading from his word, and to his name be all glory and honour and praise. Now, this morning we are returning to a series that we've been doing for a few years now, and we are returning to Matthew's Gospel. Now, the Gospels are obviously about the life of Jesus, and they tell us about what Jesus did, what Jesus taught, about his death and his resurrection. And they also, importantly, reveal who Jesus is that he is the very Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior of the world. Now, because Jesus is so central to our faith, often we might fall into the trap of thinking that we know everything about Jesus. Some of us will have heard stories about Jesus since we were at Sunday school, and so we think, well, you know, I know pretty much about Jesus and there's no more for me to learn. And sometimes we might find that actually we have quite a sentimentalized view of Jesus and a rather sentimentalized view of what faith is about. And so it's really important, isn't it, for us to to return to the Gospels and to see afresh and anew who Jesus is and all that he has done. Now, up until now, we have reached chapter 18 in Matthew's Gospel. We started at Matthew chapter 8, I think just after uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to continue on uh, from where we left off uh, in spring last year in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew uh, chapter 18. Now, if you want a reminder of the series, because you can't really remember what happened, uh, then all the sermons for this series are on the website Uh, They're on our podcasting app, so you can listen to it at your leisure. Now, today's passage might seem a familiar passage to you, but is it? You see, I'm pretty sure that we will be familiar with the parable of the lost sheep that we find in Luke's Gospel in chapter 15 which was part of a trilogy of parables about things that are lost, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. But we're maybe not quite so familiar 
with Matthew's version. When I said to the Wednesday Fellowship, just on Wednesday past, that I was going to be speaking about the parable of the wandering sheep, they kind of looked at me, puzzled, where, where's that? And I have to admit myself, when I looked this up, I was like, goodness, I didn't really realize there was a version of this in Matthew's Gospel, and it's slightly different. I wonder if you realized there was a different version of this story in Matthew's Gospel this morning, the parable of the wandering sheep. Now, the little difference here in Matthew's version is because the sheep in Luke's gospel is lost, but the sheep here in Matthew 18, what does it do? It wanders away. It wanders away. Hence the parable of the wandering sheep. Now, before we get into the substance of the parable today, it might be helpful for us just to remind ourselves of what the context is here. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 18, we see the disciples coming to Jesus and asking the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now sadly, this seems to be a question that occupied the disciples' minds quite a lot. They were always trying to, you know, jostle with each other about which one of them was the greatest. But they come to Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And what we find in Matthew chapter 18 is a major block of teaching from Jesus that focuses on humility and forgiveness. Now in verses 1 to 9 that we looked at last spring, we see Jesus, as he's confronted with this question, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, we see him taking a little child among the disciples, and and it's a little child, And so you can imagine a little child among all these kind of gruff, well, some of them gruff probably, gruff fishermen and tax collectors. They're probably quite tall, little child. And Jesus saying, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom. And we thought at that time last spring about how following Jesus and being part of the kingdom means changing our views upside down from what the world sees. Because what does the world see? Well, the world kind of venerates those who are rich and powerful, don't they? But that's not what we find in the Gospels. What were the disciples expecting when they asked that question? Well, you know, the emperor, the king. They're right up there. But that's not what he says. What does he do? He gets this little child. This is Jesus' upside-down kingdom. And then from verses 6 to 9, we had Jesus giving a very stark warning to anyone who causes these little ones to stumble. Now, by little ones, it seems that Jesus is referring to, to fledgling followers of Jesus. So obviously at this time, Jesus is going around. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom and people are putting their faith in him. But they probably don't quite have it all sorted out in their heads and in their, in their hearts. There's still a lot of discipleship to go on. And so Jesus is concerned about those who have just put their faith in him, that they're not misled. Now that phrase, little ones, also appears in verse 10 that we read today in our passage. The disciples are not to despise any of these little ones. 
i.e. to think they are greater than them, or to look down on them, or to disregard them. Now the reason for this we'll see in a moment or two, but just a couple of things before that. Firstly, if you have your Bible with you this morning, did you notice anything funny about your passage? There's something really peculiar. I'm tempted not to tell you, so that you have to go home and look it up. Did you notice there wasn't a verse 11? Did you notice? That's why you need to bring your Bible on a Sunday morning, okay? Because there's no verse 11. You might be thinking, well, what's happened? Has it just gone missing? What's gone? What's going on here? Well, seemingly some manuscripts had added in a verse from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. But it's reckoned not to be original, and so it's been omitted. And so what you find in your Bible, it goes straight from verse 10 to verse 12. Now, what you have to realize here, just a wee technical thing, sometimes we think that chapter numbers and verse numbers were all part of the original text. They were not. Chapter numbers were only brought in in the 12th century. Verse numbers only in the 16th century, just to help us to, to find our way around the Bible. It'd be quite difficult to find John 3.16 if you didn't know it was John 3.16. So that's why there's no verse 11. Now, secondly and more importantly, let's move on to verse 10, the end of verse 10. Because there Jesus says, For I tell you that there are angels in heaven Always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now, I hope you notice that that's an unusual verse. That's an unusual verse, verse 10. It's a verse that probably suggests the idea of a guardian angel. And it's probably from this verse that that concept has, excuse the pun, grown wings. Though an angel really probably strictly doesn't have wings. So it may suggest, at the end of verse 10, it may suggest the idea of a guardian angel, although note that nothing requires that there is a one-to-one correlation between angels and humans. But certainly the angels are the ones who watch over us. So whether or not Jesus' statement implies guardian angels who watch over individual believers on an ongoing basis it does confirm that the Heavenly Father uses angels to care for childlike disciples. And maybe this shouldn't surprise us. We maybe don't do enough teaching on angels. I think we've done something in an evening service before. But if you look throughout your Bible, there are angels, aren't there? We saw angels in the Christmas story in particular. But we also see Angels caring for individual churches in the Bible. We see that in Revelation. We see for angels caring for individual nations. And we see angels caring for individual persons. People like Jacob, for example. And of course, Jesus. Do you remember after the the temptation of Jesus? That Jesus was strengthened. How was he strengthened? He was strengthened by angels. Strengthened by angels. Now, as an introduction to this parable, you might be thinking, well, what has this thing about angels got to do with the parable of the wandering sheep? 
Well, the angels are looking over these little ones, looking over the disciples, but of course, so is our Heavenly Father. The Heavenly Father will not only send angels to try to bring back followers who have gone astray, but he will make every effort himself to bring about their safe return. You see, in this parable this morning, what do we see? We see a man owning a hundred sheep. And one of those sheep wanders away. Now, this might have been of their their own volition, or it might have been because they've been led astray. They've wandered off. But Jesus says that the man will leave his 99 sheep on the hills, and he will go and look for the wandering sheep. And if he finds it, he is happier about it than about the 99 that didn't wander off. Now, what is Jesus saying? What is Jesus saying in this parable? Well, verse 14 is the point, isn't it? Because Jesus says, in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. In other words, this parable gives us an insight into the love of the Father. He's not just willing to to give up on his children when they stray. There's a few important things here to note. The first is to notice that there is a difference in this parable compared to the parable of the lost sheep in Luke. In the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus has the lost sheep representing unsaved sinners. But here in the parable of the wandering sheep, what do we have? Well, the implication is that this is a a believer who's gone astray, who's wandered off, who has backslidden, if we want to put it in those terms. And Jesus' emphasis here is on the recovery of the backslidden believer who's in danger of eternal judgment. But it's not as if the owner simply says, ah, well, you know, there's one sheep gone, but look, I've got 99. That does pretty good. That's all right. I've just lost one of them. What does the owner do? He makes an effort to go and to find the sheep. And this is what God does for those who stray from him. He makes the effort. He wants them to to come back to him, to put their faith and trust in him. And maybe in your own life, you realize at times, maybe currently, you've been led astray. It can come in very subtle ways. Someone encouraging you to do something that's not necessarily bad, but which takes away your time spending with the Lord so that God is crowded out. And maybe you yourself have have developed bad habits. You know that you've wandered off a bit from God and you feel in danger. I want to say to you this morning, this is an encouraging passage. Because those times when we've let God down, those times when we should have known better, Sometimes we think that that precludes us from God. And you know, I'm so far away now, there's no way I can ever get back again. I'll never get back. 
But God is a good shepherd. He's a loving Heavenly Father. He longs for you to come to Him. He longs for you to come to Him. And when you're out there wandering and you're far away, there He is. And He's out looking for you. He's out looking for you. Is that not a wonderful picture? Sometimes we think God is just with the 99. Doesn't care. But what does this parable teach us? He does care. He actively cares. He's out there looking to try and find you. And when you come to him, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. Now, what is Jesus saying here? I think there's part of us that probably bristles at that part. Because, oh, poor 99. That's a bit of a shame, is it not? Is Jesus saying this one sheep is of more value than the other sheep? Is this like the elder brother in the story of the lost son who bristles a bit? I've always been with you. I don't think so. Because I don't think it's about value per se. The joy of finding the lost sheep does not mean that it has more value than the others. But rather the shepherd's joy demonstrates the depth of his concern, his care, and his love for all the sheep. When you've found something, when you've lost something that's really precious to you, there's real joy when you find it, especially when you find it unexpectedly, isn't it? Now, maybe you've got others of those, those you know, maybe you, you know, you've got a very special pen or whatever it might be. And you just say, oh, I wish I had that pen. And you've got plenty of other pens and they're lovely pens and you quite like the other pen. But there's a bit of joy when, oh, that pen, oh, it's lovely. You know, I found it again. I love writing with it and it's, it's great. It's a bit like that. But what's more personal? The shepherd's joy demonstrates the depth of his concern, care and love for all the sheep. And the depth of that love is often only experienced when faced with the possibility of loss. What does it say at the end of our passage? Your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. He's not willing. Sometimes we think God doesn't care doesn't care about the needy in our world, doesn't care about those who don't have faith in him, doesn't care about those who you know, were once integral parts of the church and now seem to have lost their faith. But God is looking, he's waiting, and he's not willing. This is the kind of God that we have. Yes, he's sovereign, he's powerful, but he's also unrelentingly personal. And here we have revealed to us the yearning that God has that those created in his image come to him, repent, believe, and be saved. And I simply want to ask you as we come to a conclusion today, do you know of his love for you today? That yearning love that he will search for you and keep looking for you. Because maybe as you're here this morning or you're watching online, 
You think, you know, I know I'm not in the right place with God. I know that my faith last year, five years ago, ten years ago, was a lot stronger than it is now. I know that I'm not reading my Bible. I know that I am not in prayer. I know that week can pass on week and I don't really think about God at all. And maybe you've reached a situation you think, you know, God is just, you know, I've given up on God and God has probably given up on me. But God hasn't given up on you. He will search for you. He longs for you to come to him. What does 2 Peter chapter 3 say? The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If you're not a Christian here today, you need to hear those words. Because God is waiting and watching. But if you are a Christian here today, and you know, you know deep in your soul that you're wandering. You know you're in danger. You know that one time you spent time with God and you were on fire for God, but now it's as though that, that fire's been extinguished. I want you to know this morning from this passage that God is looking for you. He yearns for you to come back to him, to experience his love, to experience his protection, to know his grace, and to be on fire for him once more. And when God finds you, he rejoices. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? You know, sometimes you can go into church and no one seems to notice you. Has that ever happened? visiting a church. Maybe you've been in this church. No one seems to notice. But God notices you. And God rejoices when he finds you. Because when he finds you, you're home. And of course, when you're home, there's no better place to be, is there? So this morning from this parable, are you wondering? Well, know that God is waiting. He's watching. He's searching for you to come to him. And when you come to him, he rejoices. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's much in this parable to inspire us this morning. But Heavenly Father, we ask for forgiveness for those times when we really think you're a harsh God. Those times when we really believe that you're just out to crush us. Because what do we see in this parable? We see your yearning heart. We see your yearning love. That you're not content just to stay with the 99. But you actively go out to search for the one who is wandering. To bring them back to the fold. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for anyone here this morning who does not know you. For anyone who has never really understood the gospel. Who's never understood that you're a God of love and a God of grace. And that forgiveness can be found only in the Lord Jesus. Lord God, speak to their heart and mind this morning. May they put their faith and trust in Jesus. 
I also want to pray for anyone here who, as they've read this passage this morning, really does feel like the one, does feel like that wandering sheep, whose faith was once strong, but now they feel as though they've backslidden. Lord God, we thank you that your arm is never too short to save. We thank you that you can draw back to yourself those who are yours, that we are never too far away from you. And Father, as you are out searching for us, we pray that we would be willing to be found and that you would bring us back home to be with you forever. And we thank you, Lord God, that there is much rejoicing when we repent and put our faith in you once more. So, Lord God, speak to us. Through your word today, we pray. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake.